Psalms 78, <clears throat> 1 to 8. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that, they, that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. It might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. You may be seated. Good morning and happy Palm Sunday. It's good to be here this morning. I feel a little lost without Jake um, sitting in that front seat there. Prayers go out to you, Ada. Ada. Um, yeah, it just seems a little empty for that reason. Anyway, this morning, um, as you can see, my message is on developing, developing biblical values for our children and for generations to come. And if you think I'm nervous, I am. Um, it's a topic that I didn't choose to speak on, but was asked to speak on this topic. It puts a little bit of a bullseye on our family, I guess. Um, I guess I'm stating the obvious here. Um, but I'll say this. I'm going right to the Word of God. I'm going right to Psalm 78. And I chose to, instead of giving my opinions up here, go right into the Word of God and see what God says about passing on our values to our children and to the generations that come. And I want to add to that, this message this morning is not just for parents. It's for a generation of, it's for a church. It's for older people in the church. It's for younger people in the church. It's for families. We have a responsibility to pass on God's values to the next generation. We can do it well in the families, but we can even do it better as a church. And I think it's our responsibility to do that together. Um, this is one of the highest priorities I think we should have um, in being here on earth, is to pass it on to the next generation, what we've been given. I'd like to start out with a story in 1 Samuel. It's kind of a sad story, and I was thinking about um, giving a story to start, and I thought, well, I might as well go to the Word of God. In chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, we meet a man by the name of Eli. Um, I think if we would have known Eli, and now I might be stretching this a little bit, but I think if we would have known Eli, we would have probably seen a very big man, a very kind-hearted big man. Um, I think the Bible says he was a big man, too. Um, and probably just a really good, godly, kind, gentle man of God. But he had one fault. I think we know that fault. And the fault is clearly given there in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I'm just going to turn to that. Um, not here to beat up on Eli. 
but I think there's something for us to learn about Eli. If you go to chapter um, 1, you can kind of see Eli meets Hannah there and kind of um, does a really nice job of just um, sharing with Hannah. Go to chapter 2, verse 12. We see Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. And an interesting thing they were doing there, um, you can read those verses there if you like. Um, By the way, if you are struggling with, with raising children or struggling with passing on, maybe this These couple chapters in Eli's, there could be something we can go to to learn how to um, pass on this, pass on godly values to the next generation. But anyways, Eli's sons here um, are quite wicked guys, and they're quite mean guys, unlike their father. And when the people would come to um, to give a or to sacrifice, they would have this big bowl, um, and they were the priests or the priest's sons were allowed to take some of the meat that these people. Um, were sacrificing and then, then later on um, eating. And he was allowed to, they were allowed to stick their fork into that meat and pull out one meat, I guess one mouthful, I don't know, of meat. You can read it there in the story. But they weren't supposed to do it till it was real nice and tender so they don't get too much out of it. But they said, they would tell the people, we're going to go in and dig into that meat before the meat's even tender and we're going to pull out a big chunk. That's what it kind of sounds like in the story there. And just being bullish and pushing their weight around and doing what they want. You can read that there very clearly. Verse 22 says, Now Eli was very old and heard about these things. Now it's interesting. Somebody else had to tell him about his children. Um, And he goes to his children at that point and says, You know what, sons? You guys need to change your ways. They didn't, of course. Um, I don't know, know why they didn't, but it doesn't sound like Eli got too much across to them. And then we get to verse, I think probably the most interesting thing in this passage is found in chapter 2, verse um, 29. We see a comment made here that says a little bit about Eli and him passing on to his children, not passing on to his children. And verse 29, it says, Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offerings that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? And he's rebuking Eli for honoring his children higher than God. Now, we all enjoy our children, especially us who have families, and we love children, but I think one of the biggest downfalls in the generation we are was obviously something even back then, is when we hold our children higher than God himself and then God's values. Um, And I will say this very clearly. Our children are not our highest value. Christ is our highest value. But saying this, we have an important responsibility to teach our children biblical values, probably one of the highest priorities we have in raising children and even as um, people in the church and passing on to our children biblical values that God has given us. Well, let's go right to Psalm 78 now. I do have another better story about Asa, who wrote this psalm in Psalm 78, and I'm going to give Asa's story in a bit too. But Psalm 78, if you want to learn about what it means to pass on the values that you've been given, biblical values, um, we can learn so much here in Psalm 78, and I want to just spend some time there this morning. 
Psalm 78 is a parable according to this chapter. And you say it's the second largest chapter in Psalm. 72 verses. Asa goes in details about the children of Israel to the point that it's almost boring and hard for me to read because it's just redundant over and over and over. Israel was given mercy by God, and then they would fall, and then God gave them mercy again, and they would repent, and then they would fall over and over and over and over and over again. And if you're like me, you read this chapter and you say, what is wrong with these people? They don't get it. They keep falling after God gives them so much. And then I stop and say, what is wrong with me? That sounds like me. That is me over and over. God gives me mercy. I repent. And then I go back to the same thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that can relate to Psalm 78 and the children of Israel. But I see myself through there so often. And this is a psalm of God's mercy. And a psalm of God time and time again. God's grace. Going to the children of Israel and not giving up on them. A psalm for us. We keep falling and God doesn't give up on us. A parable worth looking at. Verse 38 is one of my highlights here, and I'm just going to read this. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. We see God caring deeply for the children of Israel, caring deeply for me and restraining his wrath um, and in his, in his mercy, giving me a chance. None of us want our children to have to learn the hard lessons, the, uh, learn the lessons the hard way. Um, none of us want the next generation to fall because they have not been taught about our great God. We don't want to forget who God is and his wonderful might. So our responsibility as parents and as a church is to pass on the lessons we have learned in our lives to people around us, to our children, and to the next generation. So where do we start? Let's look at Psalm 78, and I'm going to start right in verse 5. <clears throat> now maybe I'll just read that verse right away. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. So we say, where do we start as parents? Where do we start at passing this on? I think we know where we start. Where's that? With the word of God. God has given us, God has spoken. He has given us his word. Why? So we can have truth and so we can know the truth. We have the word of the Lord. We are without excuse, parents. Church, we are without excuse to pass on um, the values that we've been given to the next generation. Our faith and values starts with the word of God. We have to believe in the sufficiency in the word of God. You may have heard that word before. And that is believing that the word of God um, is all we need. And so often, if you as parents were like I was, especially as an idealistic young parent, I would get this book and I'd get that book and I'd read this book, and I'd jump on to this opinion on this author, and then I'd hear another opinion from another author, and I was like, this is how you raise your children. This is how you pass on godly. And I was missing this, the Word of God. Those authors had opinions, and some of them were maybe kind of good. 
I look back at a lot of them, probably most of those books are getting dusty and there are not many people are talking about that author anymore and what his opinions are. Um, but I'm telling you, the Word of God has truth for us to hang on to. God's Word is the basics for our lives and for our children's lives. We begin there because there's an absolute basic for us to understand and believe. People who do not orient their lives on biblical principles cannot know what is good for them or for their children. Most of us parents can probably relate to this and say, yeah, we've tried all those. And then we go back to the Word of God and see what the Word of God says and realize there's a lot more there than we give ourselves. God has revealed His will to us today through the Word of God. He has established a testimony and appointed a law, like it says in verse 5. He has established a testimony and appointed a law. And that's what we need to pass on to our children. This is first base. This is where it starts. If we don't start with this, we are probably in trouble. Our faith and values start with the Word of God. God has revealed His will for us and our children through His Word. Point number two, God has given us a command. Now look at verse 5. He not only gave us his word, but he gave us a command. Um, Again, and what is the command? Which he commanded our fathers that we should make them... Somebody tell me what the command is. Say it louder. Knowing to who? our children, and the next generation. We are responsible. We are commanded to to pass it on. This isn't just a joke, or this isn't just something that is a suggestion. It is a command for us to pass it on. Why? So So we know what to do. He's given us a command, and we need to pass it on. Why does he tell us this? So we know what to do. Um, He gives us the command for us to do it. And I'm telling you this because it's not easy. And the reason I know it's not easy is because Eli didn't get it, right? And then Samuel came right along, right right on the till of Eli. He saw his sons, and somehow Samuel didn't get it right. And then we have David after Samuel, and he struggled with the same thing. And you say, how can three good, godly men not do a very good job of passing it on to their children? Now, I'm going to get back to Asa in a bit. And he was one man who did it and did it well, and I think we can learn from him. And I'll tell, tell you his story in a bit. God's commanded, we are commanded to pass on his revealed will to the next generation. And what's that command? The command is right there pass it on to our children. This is why we were created. That's why God made us. Not just to hold on to the good things we have, but to pass it on. Not just to hold on to the godly values that we've been given, but to pass it on to the next generation. And I'll say this. This might be a little disturbing, but if you don't do it, if we don't do it as a church, if we don't do it as parents, God says somebody else will do it. And the reason I know that, because you look at the children of Israel, they didn't do a good job, but it was still passed on. Maybe not to their children, And maybe their children had to deal with a lot of consequences they shouldn't have had to, but it was passed on. Um, It will be passed on. If it doesn't get passed on here at Weavertown, it will get passed on to it by someone else somewhere else. So we know we are commanded. It's our responsibility, and we need to pass it on. 
So what is that response? God commanded us to teach it. What is our responsibility? What is it that we need to do? First thing we need to do is we must, the first part of our responsibility is found in verse 1. What's it say in verse 1 there? Give ear, O my people, to my law of God, and incline thine ears to the words of thy mouth. You see, when it comes to the law of God, it shows us our sins. So the first thing we should be doing is giving ear to the law of God. And what's the law of God do? Ten Commandments do to us? What happens when you read the Ten Commandments? You realize you can't attain. And it points you back to your sins. And then we realize we need something greater. So we as parents are, should do exactly that. Look at the law of God. See what the law of God tells us. And, show, and let it show our sins so we can um, repent of our sins. If, that's what that parable is here um, in Psalm 78. The parable was given for a reason, a warning for us. We are like the children of Israel in verse 9, and tw- 9 to 12. Does this sound familiar? The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Sounds familiar. Um, we need to um, look at the law of God and, and let it change who we are personally. This is where it starts. He will not hide them. The next thing we see, he will not hide them from our children. So our command is not to hide it from our children. What does that mean? Well, basically, what does that mean? We communicate with them. We tell them about it. Um, and we can do that by living lives, right? That's a, where we should start. But is that where it ends? Do we just live our lives right and expect our children to catch on? No, we need to do what Jesus did, and that was open his mouth and teach them. Uh, we're responsible to communicate to our children, to pass on our values, um, the values that we've been given through the Word of God to our children. And what will we show to the generations to come? Look at verse 4. I know I'm jumping all over the place, but here it gives us three specific things for us as parents and for us as a church to show to our children. First one is what in verse 4? I have it up there. Praises of the Lord. Now, how do we do that? How do we show the praises of the Lord to our children and to the generation to come? Our children should hear us sing the praises of God. Now, some of you are good at music and or probably spend a lot of your time singing at your home. That's, probably, that's a great idea. Um, and I think we could do that more of that. I heard my wife do that this morning as she was getting our two youngest up and was blessed by that. We should be making our home a place of praise, a place of singing. I remember the example of my dad, and this is one I'll never forget. As a very young boy, I don't know how old I was, I was in the cow stable, and my dad was whistling a tune. Well, that was great. Appreciated my dad whistling a tune. But it was raining that day. Well, sure, if it's raining, you should be whistling a tune, right? But it was not only raining that day. There was 40 acres of hay land that was getting rained on. You understand what that means, farmers? It meant there was a lot of um, money going down the drain as that rain was hitting that hay, and my dad was singing. That impacted me. Um, That is the kind of things we need to do in our home um, as parents, We need to be a family and a home of praise. They need to hear it. 
They need to hear it in singing. They need to hear it in words. They need to hear us praising God. Um, that's very important um, in raising our children and them hearing and passing on to the next generation. What else is it? What else should they hear? Verse 4, the strength of the Lord. Do our children believe God is all-powerful and full of strength? I think we do a pretty good job of this. But again, this is something we need to communicate. Um, do they believe God will and can pull them through any problem that arises? And how do we communicate that? We communicate that in hard times, when things are not going well. How are we doing communicating to our children when something's not going so well that God is a God of strength? Do our children find security in an all-powerful God? Do they, believe God in, do they believe in God as a God of strength that someday will make everything right again? If they do, if our children do, someone has communicated it to them. If the next generation believes that God is a God of strength, it didn't come naturally. Somebody communicated that to them. Yes, our faith in action, but also in words, needs to be spoken. We need to speak in our homes, in our churches, about God being a God of strength. And the third thing we find here is the wonderful works of the Lord. How do we do with this? Have our children heard of some of the great things God has done in this world? Have they heard of some of the great things God has done in our lives? Do we tell stories about how God has done wonderful works in our lives? Do our children know our redemption story? Do people around us know our redemption story? We need to communicate that. If we wanted to pass it on, it needs to be communicated to the next generation. We are storytellers to our children. Again, I think my mom has done a wonderful job of telling us stories, and some of the stories were pretty graphic, maybe stretched a little bit, um, but they were often stories that spoke to the wonderful works of the Lord. Stories of redemption. Um, stories of things that happen in the community. They don't just need to be... Now, I think we as parents need to tell them to tell, give our children the gospel and give their children all the Bible stories. They're wonderful. They need to hear them. They should know them. They should listen to them on tape. And they should be listening to them. They should, my, my boys spend a lot of time listening to them on tape, probably more than um, me speaking it to them. Um, but they should know the stories of the Bible. But even as important as that, they should know the stories of our community. Redemption, redemptive work in their lives, in our lives, and in people's lives around us. They should hear those stories. Um, those stories will impact them. Those stories will make a difference in their life. And you say, ah, what's the big deal about stories? Well, isn't that what the Bible is? Isn't the Bible full of stories? Sure it is. The Bible... Uh, most of the authors in the Bible were excellent storytellers, um, telling the stories. And what were they telling? They were telling the wonderful works of the Lord. That's what those stories were. And even some of the, the stories that were, um, we would say, well, why would you tell them those stories? Those are bad stories. Those are negative stories. They were, they were told for a lesson, and they ultimately showed the wonderful works of the Lord. This is exactly what Asaph was doing in Psalm 78. So if you have a chance this week to read Psalm 78, read the stories that Asaph gave the children of Israel about the children of Israel and things that happened there. That brings us to the next point. God communicates through stories. And I may sound a little redundant, but I'm going to go into this some more. 
And why does he do this? So we can learn from them. So we can pass them on to our children and learn from them. Stories are some of the best ways to pass on values to others. God did this throughout the Bible. There's three stories I want to, uh, I want to hit up on here um, in this section. And we see the verse, verses 1 to 4, he talks about um, the importance of passing on these stories. You see, God probably won't speak to us or the next generation in an audible voice. So we're going to have to hear it through stories passed on from generation to generation. We probably won't see the miracles of Jesus, but we can tell the stories of Jesus and his miracles. Let's look, on, let's look at the three stories um, I want to hit up on here. And the first one is Israel's story. And again, I'm not going to spend much time in this. You can read Psalm 78 and you can read Israel's story. You have read that many times. We see Asa going in great detail to tell Israel's story. Asa was quite a storyteller, and he was passing it on to the children of Israel and to the next generation, the stories. Throughout the Bible, we hear so much of Israel's story, so much that after a while, it sounds a little repetitious. Why does God make it repetitious? He wants us to get it. He's determined that we learn from these stories. And if you say repetitious in your home, telling the stories, your stories to your children about God, you're probably just a little bit like the authors in the Bible, going on and on, telling the stories. Don't quit. Our children need to hear it. The next generation needs to hear it. They are there for a reason, and that reason is so we don't repeat those stories. Some people say, well, why? that's old stuff. We don't need to read that. You know, it's just a lot of negative. God put it there for a reason. God gives us that history for a reason. And why? So we don't have to be repeated. It's his mercy. Those stories are for our mercy so we don't have to repeat those stories. second story we have is the story of Asa. Now, here's the good story. I told you about Eli. I told you about Samuel. I told you about David. Asa was a young man who ministered in the tabernacle as a Levite. I'm just going to go over a little bit about Asa. When David recaptured the Ark of the Covenant and returned it to Jerusalem, Asa at that point was a very young man, and he was a Levite that was and as one of the musicians. Later on, Asa was elevated to the cymbal player, to chief musician. When David assembled other musicians for worship in the tent in the meeting, he chose some of them from the sons of Asa. Okay, so we know one thing now. The sons of Asa did the same thing that their father did. They were musicians in the camp of David. Asa faithfully taught, instructed, and ministered with his sons and others, who in turn did the same to their sons, who in turn taught their sons, and on, the, and on down the line from generation to generation. How do we know that? Well, listen to this. If you read the Old Testament, you're going to hear about Asa's children for many, many generations. About 100 years later, after Asa, Jehoshaphat prayed for protection against the invading armies, and received the prophetic word given by Jehaziel, one of the sons of Asa, 100 years later. 140 years after that, during Hezekiah's time, the sons of Asa were among the Levites who cleansed and consecrated the temple so to worship God, so the worship of God could be restored. That's 140, that's, now we're at 240 years. 80 years later, after the great apostasy, and the book of the law was found, King Josiah wanted to celebrate Passover again. And guess what? The singers turned out to be who? The descendants of Asa. 
When the, when the Israelites returned to Jerusalem from their captivity in Babylon, nearly 400 years after the dedication of the temple, Ezra records that numbered in the exile were 148 singers, the sons of Asa. I believe Asa and his descendants were purposeful and intentional in passing on their faith to future generations. Isn't that a great story? 400 years later, the generations continued Asa's children and grandchildren and great-great-great-grandchildren continued to sing the praises of God, continued to be godly men and women of faith. Now, the third story I'd like us to look at is our own story. Should I say that our story, or should I say God's story through us? Um, what do we have? Are we passing on our story? The last part of So what are we doing about our story? Our story is God's story through us, should be, and it should be passed on from generation to generation. We need to tell our story. We need to tell our children and the people around us about how God has worked in our lives. Okay, we're going to move on to God's... God has given us a plan or a method for teaching our children. And this is, comes to the, the last part um, not only has God given us command, not only has God given us a responsibility to pass it on, but he has also given us a plan for doing this. And if you look at verses 6 and 7, there's some interesting things here, a plan or a method for how we should pass on um, to the next generation the values that we've been given. So we know how to pass on to God's values to the children. Why? So we know how to pass it on. God is not just a random God, but he has a method and a plan that works. I believe if we seek him, we will find his plan for our lives and for the lives of our children. If we look at the next verses, verses 6 to 8, we can clearly see God's plan here. Look at verse 6. What do we see here? That we might have the knowledge of God, verse 6. The first thing we need to do as parents or as a church and passing on is give our children and give the next generation knowledge. That sounds like an advocate for higher education. Some of you are cringing. You say, why would you send them to college? I'm not saying that. But I think it starts with a knowledge. We need to pass on knowledge to our children, our Christian schools, our Christian high schools, and, and maybe in some cases, um, higher education is important. We need to have knowledge in order to in order for our children, or our children need to have knowledge in order to know who Christ is. It starts with the mind. That we might have the knowledge of God. That's the next, that the next generation might know. I think it's right to prize love for God above love for knowledge. Because even the devils knew about God and had knowledge of God. But I think too often we stop with it. And we say, well, you know... Knowledge isn't all that important. We just need a good heart. Is it? John Piper says it this way. What a tragedy when we see the pride that knowledge can bring and then draw the wrong conclusion that the best way to inspire love to God is to somehow take a detour around knowledge. We can't take a detour around knowledge. Our children need to know about God. Okay? In order to get a good heart, they first need to know I think we know probably many people who we've said, they had such a good heart. 
But because they didn't know the values, because they didn't have the knowledge of the Word of God, ten years later, they were lost. We need to instill knowledge in our children about the Word of God. Now, I think that's probably the problem. Too often, sometimes higher education is not about the knowledge of God, but it can become the knowledge of humans or against God. We can't love God without a good knowledge of God. We love God because of what we know of Him. Or our love may only be an artificial emotionalism. Have you ever seen that? People don't understand who God is and they are excited about God, but they don't really know God. The first task in education for our children is to impart a genuine knowledge of the testimony and law of God. And it doesn't need to lead to pride, especially if we do it the way Asa did it. So the first aim of passing on to the next generation our faith and values is knowledge. But of course we know it. Don't stop at that, right? Look at verse 7. That they might put their hope in God. So we give them the knowledge of God so they can put their hope in God. Second aim should be that our children come to put their hope in God. Verse 6 goes on to say that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they may set their hope in God. Knowledge should always lead to hope. What goes in head should make a new heart. If one person errs in education by saying knowledge is not the main thing, but the heart is the main thing. Another person errs on the other side by saying that imparting knowledge is our only goal. Of course it's not. I don't think I need to tell you that. Our goal should not be just imparting knowledge, but changing the heart. Okay? Um, I think that's pretty obvious to us. The Word of God is very clear on this. The aim of all families and churches is to teach the truth in such a way that young people will come to love it, and put their hope in God and change their hearts. Not just more knowledge, but a heart change, a hope in God. But does it stop at that? Keep reading verse 7. We live in a generation where I think we talk about knowledge. Maybe we as Anabaptists haven't talked about education and knowledge enough. We definitely talk about having a changed heart which is where it's at, what do we often miss? Somebody keep reading that verse and tell me what can often be missed. And I think these three all go together, and you can't hardly have one without the other. But what does it say in the rest of chapter, verse 7 there? What else do we need to teach our children? Somebody. To keep his commandments, and that's what? Obedience. Right? So... We give them knowledge, we help them change their hearts, but we also teach them that they need to obey God. Now, I don't think you can take one away from the other. We need all three. You can't have a changed heart and not have obedience, or you can't have knowledge and not have a... Uh, I, I guess you could have knowledge and not have a heart. But the three go together, and the three connect with each other. Our third aim should be obedience. Verse 7 goes on, so that they can 
set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Our job in teaching the next generation has to do with how our young people act as well as what they know and what they feel. And I think we live in a generation where a lot of people don't think this is important. As long as you have a good heart, it doesn't really matter if you obey. And I don't think that's even possible because your heart can't be right if you're not obeying. But I think you, hear, you start hearing those things taught. At least we have people who accept people claiming to have a good heart without obedience. Our job in teaching the next generation has to do with how our young people act as well as what they know and what they feel. It is important that we stress obedience. It is important that we recognize when obedience isn't taking place in our lives or in the lives of our church or in the lives of our children that there's a problem. Their heart probably isn't right, um, but there's obviously a problem. That's why pure hope in God is essential because we always bring our, it always brings our life in sync with whatever we hope in. I love the verse in 1 John 3, 3. Everyone who thus hopes in Christ purifies himself even as he is pure. Saying, if we have hope in Christ, we are going to live a holy life. That's called obedience. Our job in passing on godly values to the next generation starts with teaching truth, the knowledge of God, helping them put their hope in God, their hearts making their heart right, and expecting them to obey God, a life of obedience to God. Does that make sense? I'd like to end with two questions. And the first question is, do we have a plan for passing on God's values to the next generation? Or is it just going to happen? Did Eli have a plan? I don't think David had much of a plan either. Asa did, and it happened. I don't know what Asa was thinking, but somehow, 400 years later, the children of Asa were still singing the praises of God. And I think every one of us here wants that same thing for our children and for our church and for the next generation. Do we have a plan? What are we doing? A plan to impart to the next generation a knowledge of Scripture and a knowledge of its doctrine so that, we will be able to, so that they will be able to stand firm. When they face grief and pain and pleasure and materialism, will they be strong in their faith when the world offers them the many pleasures and desires of the world? Do we have a plan in place prepared for our next generation so when the world gives them everything they want to give them, will they be able to stand up against it? Next question I have to ask us, what in your life is more important than passing on to the next generation the faith you have been given? Is there anything? Is our work? The people around us? Is it... Or you name it. Is there anything more important than passing that on? Now, I think I've lived my life quite often in ways to show that I don't really believe that's the most important thing. And I want to repent of that. I want to make that the most important thing in my life after following God myself. 
This should be one of the greatest goals for our church, a desire to pass on what God has given us. Isn't it very selfish? If we love what we have in Christ and what we've been given and don't do something to pass it on to the next generation. How do we, but how do we do it? I think that's what many generations before us, my parents, the older ones here, have grappled with, struggled with. None of us have, I think all of us, when we're on the front bench at 80 years old, will probably say we probably didn't do so well. I think that's pretty fair to say for all of us. But what can we do now? What do we need to do now to stop what we're doing and make sure this is taking place? Are we taking the time to tell the next generation our stories of what God has done in our lives? I think there's something about this story thing. Our children need to hear it. Um, are we taking the time every day to sing verses of Psalm in our home, so our children hear it, to stop and read scripture to our children, to draw out lessons for life for our children? Or do we have time to ask a few good questions every day to our children? Do we have time even to pray with our children? If not, I think we're missing passing on to the next generation. If we say we're too busy, I think we need to rethink our priorities. God said it was a command for us to do this. We're responsible to do it. It's a command for each one of us. Um, God's asking us to do this. Let's never forget, take the time to point the next generation to the Word of God. And I think some of us right now may feel a little overwhelming. Let's start today. John Hughes said, there's always a way forward. And I'm saying that for myself. Um, but I think each one of us knows that there's always a right way forward. And let's do that as a church. Let's do that as families. Um, let's take the time to find a way to pass on to the next generation the values, the godly gifts that we've been given and pass it on. That's Neil Taylor prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and recognize and understand um, our undoneness, recognize and understand that um, in many, many days we have missed the mark in passing on to the next generation. But God, I thank you for a new day. Thank you that we can do that today and we can um, do it um, tomorrow and this week and help us to do that well. Help us to pass on um, your great gifts that you've given us to the next generation so the next generation can know um, and understand your goodness and your love. Um, help us to, to spend more time thinking about what you have done and then pass that on to others around us. Thank you for your many gifts, your gift of love, your gift of grace, um, your gift of your son, Jesus. We think about Easter time coming up, and we want to just thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross and, and on the resurrection. Thank you for everyone here this morning. Just pray that um, as we go about our week, that we could honor and glorify you in the words we say, in the way we live, in the stories we tell. In Jesus' name, amen.